0: 24 years old, thought he'd had his life together, but he kept figuring out ways to mess it up. He found himself in a situation he didn't know how to get out of. He prayed to a God that he didn't know continuously to fix it. But only able to operate out of his own power, he kept trying to fix it. He found himself one day, after many weeks of highly functioning, going to work, just no one knowing of coming home in afternoons and putting tin foil on the windows and just going to sleep till he went to work the next day because he was lost and had no hope then he found himself one day getting in his car with a plan a plan that he had showed or told no one else And to take that car and drive it into a concrete pillar that held up where 35 in Dallas, Texas, merges onto 635 LBJ. Because one of his friends had died that way not too long before that, maybe a year or so before that he knew it would work and could not seem, wouldn't seem like he did it on purpose. But somewhere in that route between Louisville and At 35 and 635, somehow there was a voice. Don't know that it was audible, but there was a voice said, stop this car. I'm not through with you yet. I didn't know that day that God had more. I prayed to a God that I didn't know. But a God that I didn't know somehow or another spoke to me in that car. I didn't know that less than a year later I would meet the love of my life. I didn't know that 14 months after that in the process of our first child being born that I would really find the love of my life because of the love of my life. Not knowing the first book of the Bible, I came to know Jesus in a real transformative way in December 1986. And it changed everything. Everything. As a kid growing up, I thought, well what I want to do and I thought it was it was worthy and it was in this sense I wanted to be a basketball player and I was I wanted to play for the Razorbacks then the New York Knicks you wouldn't want to do that today but you did back then okay and I wanted to somewhere along the way be a basketball coach that was my desire that was my passion that was where I was headed that's That is a worthy calling. I'm not sure about playing for the Razorbacks or the Knicks, but the other part is of a coach or a teacher. What I didn't know was that I would be a coach, but I serve a God who can give immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. I didn't know I'd be on different continents around the world. I didn't know that I'd be speaking to people whose languages I did not know, but they were as, as there was a connection the minute I met them because of a Savior who had died and, and and was raised again for both of us. I didn't know that. I didn't know as a kid even up to twenty four. I didn't know that that was part of where God was taking me. But somewhere along the way, He called me an invitation. I think about that sometimes, that it really is, when we think about a calling, the literally, the translation is, it's an invitation. An invitation to a life you cannot imagine. An invitation, matter of fact, to a life that he would be, you wouldn't even want him to tell you all of it, because some of the pain and some of the things that you may have to go through to get where he's trying to take you, you would stop along the way. You don't want to know. What all the invitation means. Ephesians 4. I shared with you last week that one of the biggest challenges of preaching through any book of the Bible, specifically for us right now, Ephesians, is that you just kind of hit a chapter and you go to the next chapter. Well... Somewhere along the way this week, the Lord goes, "Well, you're not going to do that with Ephesians 4, and we may not even do it with five or six. We'll see. But Ephesians 4, we're going to camp out at least for a few weeks, if not more, because I believe as God is at least working in my mind and heart, and I think in the staff and some different things, I I believe Ephesians 4 speaks to us right where we are right now. Not that the scripture doesn't do that all the time. Don't misinterpret what I don't hear what I'm not saying, as Reggie McNeil would say. What I am saying, though, is, I just believe with all my heart, Ephesians 4 is where we need to throw the tent down, put the pegs in for a little bit, build a fire, gather around, and let's see what the Lord has to say to us. Last week, shared with you in Ephesians 3, I hope it kind of rolled around in your mind a little bit this last week, Ephesians 3, and I'm going to read 19 through 21 again. It's not on the screen. I should have had it. I apologize for that. But most of you have it memorized anyway, so it's it's good, okay? But you may. And to know that this love surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure, measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus, Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, the attempt had been this week to look at Ephesians 4 and go, okay, how can I preach I started thinking, can you preach three sermons on one Sunday? Well, that's not ever a good idea. You're taught that early on. Preach one sermon one time and then preach another one another time. But don't try to preach four in one week. So I'm trying to make sure. So, here, so I've had to backtrack a little bit and go, okay, what do I pull out to camp out on here? One of them is I want to say this about verse 19 before we jump into It's the fullness of God. I believe that the divine nature hates a vacuum. I mean in, in nature itself if there's a vacuum either water or air seems to fill it up, right? So but when God he hates to see this vacuum in our lives because if it does not filled up by him it will be filled up by something else. And we could talk about that throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. There's teachings on that of being filled, and we'll get to that later on a little bit. But it's the fullness. God wants the fullness of Him living through us. And the doxology that Paul, we talked about last week, within us as we begin to live that way, all of us, I think it is innate to us to want to sing praises to something. We were designed to sing praises to the King of kings and Lord of lords, but there's a doxology that wants to come out of us. And when the fullness of God is working within us, it becomes very clear where, where that praise should go. So as I was reading this week and studying the last few weeks on this passage of Scripture... And just to tell, tell some of you, we, we received a, some of it The staff and a few of us went to the Global Leadership Summit, and no, we didn't host it here this year, we went down to uh, Chandler Christian at the Gilbert campus there for two days, and the Global Leadership Summit, they gave a card out, and of all things, it was Ephesians 4. And I just kept setting that in front of me almost all those two days, just reading over it. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 right now. I'm going to come back, and we're just going to camp out on a, just maybe one verse this morning, and then we'll come back to it. Okay, therefore, this is Paul writing, therefore a prisoner for serving the Lord, therefore I, excuse me, a prisoner serving the Lord, beg you, in other words, I urge you, I plead with you. Now get that picture before we go any further. Paul is saying here, I'm trying. he's trying to find ways to, He's trying to oversell it, not oversell it as if He doesn't mean it. He's just trying to find words, just like He did last, we talked about last week when He was talking about God's love. He was trying to find words just to throw at it to make you have this picture of how big. Well, this is kind of what He's doing here. He said, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you. Don't miss it. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. I beg you to live a life worthy of the invitation. For you have been called by God. Now, just let me say here, just, just to kind of break in here, I would say if you were looking, if there's two callings, One is the call of the Holy Spirit to accept Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Then there is the calling of what you do with that once you get there. And I know there's a lot more teaching I can do on that, and we will do that at a later point because there's so much in this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 4. But I just want you to know that there is this calling. Do any of you remember the wooing? Do any of you remember the, the drawing of the Spirit drawing you? Of wooing you, but never forcing you. Always be humble and gentle. Paul goes through this listing off the traits of the fruit of the Spirit of love. He goes through this and he sprinkles it throughout. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults. Because of what? Because you're told to, because it's the right thing to do. But because of your love, because of you. Now you have been changed. You have been transformed with the love of Christ living within you. Now you live within that. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Again, we're not supposed to be just peacekeepers, we're supposed to be what? peacemakers, we have been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. We are to be people who are drawing people back to God and back to each other. That is our ministry. It is not to divide. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious... We talked about it last week, glory. Glorious hope. The Shekinah glory. The glory that only God can share. This glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all and in all and living through all. However, He has is, he is given each of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, When He ascended to their heights... He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. We'll talk more about that next week, I'm, I'm guessing, or the next few weeks. Notice that it says he ascended. And Paul, what he's doing is quoting, I think it's Psalm sixty six eighteen 18 right here is what he's doing. And he, again, he steps in here and he goes, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts of Christ who gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. And their responsibility, we'll be teaching on this, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be more more mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We talked about that in Galatians. It's time to grow up. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try not try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way and more like Christ. We've talked about that here. I don't want to become an influencer in other people's lives so they will be more like me. I want to become influencers in people's lives so they'll be more like Christ. who is the head of his body, the church. Paul wants to give you, he gives, we'll go back and talk about the body in another illustration in the next few weeks. But Paul wants to make sure that you're not confused. He puts, the body is the church. He brings it back twice here. The body, then he goes, the church. Just make sure you understand and you get a clear picture of what he's talking about here. He makes the whole body, he didn't put it here, the church fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Do you think there's enough to preach on here for a few weeks? (laughs) We're going back to verse 1. Lead a life worthy of your calling. I'm going to say this a couple of times because I think it's easy to read that passage of Scripture and just skip right over the top of it. Lead or live, depends on your translation, lead a life worthy of your invitation. Worthy there is uh, I love the way the translation is defined as having worth that matches actual value. Worth that matches actual value. Are you suitable? You know, I, I, I grew up, as many of you know, in a little town in Arkansas. My dad owned a car business. He had, he had been running that a long time. Had My dad ran baseball teams, and he and my mom together would go pick up young men who their parents wouldn't even show up for games but my mom and dad would go pick them up on these dirt roads there in Arkansas my mom and dad's reputation in that little town and it was till they passed they named the baseball field my dad the 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 city field is named after my dad many I mean 50 years later 40 years later they named it after him that's how long it was still trickling out my mom and dad's reputation was so significant in that town and in that community I can't overstate it I don't think when you think about it what what God did with them and used how he used them One of the things I tried to do as a a young person is, you know, I knew I was going to rebel. That's just what you did. Everybody's supposed to do that, right? But one of the things I was so careful about in rebelling was, was that I, back then in the 70s, is that smoking pot, you were a pothead or a dopehead. And you were labeled that. And everybody knew who the potheads and dopeheads were. That's just what we called them, and that's what they were. And and uh, but if you drank alcohol and even if you drank it excessively it was just boys being boys that's just what you did everybody went through that so I made a commitment because I felt my mom and dad were worthy to never smoke dope because I never wanted to taint their reputation for if I ever got arrested getting arrested for DUI was okay because it was just boys being boys but if I ever got arrested for marijuana or pot then it was a dope head and he was the father and they were the mother of a dope head that was a whole big change in the way it was seen now I realize that thinking is really messed up I am not justifying what I just told you what I'm saying was I made decisions even in my messed upness I wanted to be worthy of the name gentry Played enough sports in my life where coaches have told, told me, you're playing for the name on the front of the jersey, not on the back of the jersey. Live up to that. As I was a youth pastor for many, many years, or student pastor, whatever the politically correct word to use nowadays, teen pastor, whatever that is. <laughs> One of the things I used to say to students, especially young men, would ask me more than women would, but it would come up often. I would say, Become. And they would go, you know, I, I'm looking for this certain kind of young lady or a certain kind of young man where they, where they live this way. They love God. They, they live in such a way that, man, I want to connect myself with them and at least date them or court them or whatever you want to call it and then be married to them. That's who I. And, and one thing I would always say to them, which was the biggest problem for them, was become the person, become the person now. That the person you're hoping for, you will be worthy of them. Become them now. But most of us don't want to do that, do we? We know what we want. We know what we desire. But we're not sure we're willing to become worthy of the calling. Now, I want to be careful here. Because in the middle of any conversation like this, this, it can be really confused that we're talking about works for grace... And salvation versus works because of the love you have for someone. We've talked about this before. and I'll just briefly say it because I think we'd, I don't want people to walk away from here confused. In salvation, it is grace. But we continue after we're saved with grace that is unconditional love, yes. But there is effort. Scripture backs that up. There is not—you you can't confuse it. If you—if we got into it, there is effort. And again, it, just the simple picture is: I don't love Jan. I don't do things for Jan for her to love me more. I do things for Jan because I love her more and more. There is a different way to look at that. There is effort. So I just want to make sure we don't leave there with with you confusing the fact of living worthy. You were made worthy by Christ's death and resurrection. That's the only way you get in. But what we do from this to the calling, the invitation, because that's what this passage of Scripture is about, is getting busy in the church. And I don't mean busy as in let's stay busy, but fulfilling what God has called you to do uniquely. That's what he's referring to here. Matthew twenty six twenty one, Jesus is speaking and says, where, "Where your treasure is, there's where your heart will be also." And one of the biggest challenges as we begin to look at our faith is what are the things that we ha- if we have to begin to look at all of our lives and begin to look at all the things in our life and go, "What what is taking me where I want to go, and what is?" keeping me back I think it's T.D. Jakes I think I've shared with you many times paraphrasing his statement about so many of us have a picture of where we want to go a desired future the problem is not the picture having a struggle with the desired future the struggle is what we're willing to let go of to get there and one of the biggest challenges inside I think any local church inside of many families is trying to decide what are our values What are the things that we agree on are worth the most? And whatever's worth the most, those are the things we're willing to sacrifice for. As Jesus is saying here, where your treasure is, your heart will be there. It's a statement we've quoted. I'm not sure who said it. It says, I may not always live out what I profess, but I will always live out what I value it just comes out of me I can say that I value health but my actions may look totally different than that I may even believe I need to be healthy I may have done enough research to say I've got these things in place but the reality is I am not living it out to live or lead a life worthy of the calling So many of our lives, we begin to look at the calling, and if the calling is clear in our lives, we begin to make the changes and the corrections, even, if you will, in our lives to begin to live into what we believe God has called us to do. I love what, there's challenges. I love what McManus says. "It's if you choose to live with intention of a great kingdom impact, there is one thing unavoidable. There will come a moment of impact where your resistance to be impactful, your insistent to be impactful, will meet resistance. And he says, some of our life's greatest opportunities are not behind doors or windows, but behind walls. They require genuine effort. To so ask any great mother, being a mother is hard work. Giving ourselves to a great to great things comes with a cost. I was reading in my renovation of the heart daily devotional. many of you 've done that over the years i 've done it so many times i 've lost count how many times i 've gone through that devotional and I always recommend if you don 't have a devotional if you're following along in Christ and you're kind of down the road, just not, you're not necessarily a new believer. You've been a believer for a while and you want a devotional for 60 days for two months. It's one of the best I've ever read. And I've read it, I don't, I'm guessing, eight to ten times. But one of the statements this week in one of his devo- the devotions I was reading was that only one time when the Israelites were going into the promised land did the walls of Jericho fall. One time. Only one time. God did it for them. They had to do some things, I realized. But God, the rest of the time, it was hand-to-hand combat. They had to fight for the land that they were taking. Now, think about this in in, in salvation. Christ did what we could not do for ourselves. But after that, there is now some hand-to-hand combat going forward to take the land. That means there's gonna be a lot of fights. There's gonna be and we'll talk more about spiritual warfare and things of that nature in Ephesians, as most of you know. Many of you will know that in Ephesians six specifically. The only thing for most of us that spend time or money on things is when we believe there is, it's worth what we're willing to pay for it. Have you ever spent time on things that that time you spent there or that money you spent on it, afterwards you're going, man, that was not worth it. <laughs> that was just not worth it. I remember the first, first house we ever built and uh, I made a decision that because it was, a thou- this is in 1988, th- the $1,000, I think it was, or 1987, 88, $1,000 to put the insulation in the, in the house through all the walls. Not the ceiling, but all the walls and everything because I wanted interior walls with soundproof from room to room and all that kind of stuff. But I could buy it for 750 and me do all of it. I have no idea. I was working at Alumax, working 12-hour shifts, so I'd get home at 7.30 that night, and I'd work to 2 or 3 in the morning, then I'd start all over again the next day. Sometimes you realize that's just not worth it. <laughs> that $250 that I thought I was saving there was just not worth it. But sometimes you just have to learn that way, right? You find out, okay, next time, it ain't worth it. Yes, it ain't worth it. But then there comes a point of the values and things that you say are so valuable to you, you're willing to fight for them. You're willing to lay everything on the line for them. You're willing to sacrifice for them. I'm going to guess most people have never written those down. They've never put those down on papers. There's three or four, maybe five things. that will go, we, these are non-negotiables. Again, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in many marriages is that they that they'd never agreed on what that is. How you spend your money. Where we're headed. what we will trade, what we will give up. And and many times, like, like, I don't know about you, but I get enough knowledge, I gain enough knowledge to know what I should do. And I'm convinced of that knowledge. But I love, love what Thomas Carlyle says. He says, conviction is worthless until it can convert itself into daily conduct. And I love it. I don't have it up there, but Wayne Cordero says, wisdom has two pains, discipline and regret. And the pain of discipline costs way less than the cost of regret, and it ain't even close. Where would you be right now and your faith, if you'd have started six months ago what you knew you should have been doing? Where would your health be right now if you'd have started six months ago, what you know you should be doing? And we could go down the list of things. What would be different today if you'd have started what you knew? If you have moved to act, you didn't no longer just had it in your head, but you begin to live it out. I'm going to confess to you here as your pastor, I've not done well with that in the last year or so. And I could go through reasons, and we can all make excuses, and we can all go down a list of things, but at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, health-wise, yeah, I got a hip replaced. And I thank the Lord for that. But I went and got a body scan analysis yesterday. Whatever all that means. One of the advantages and disadvantages of having broad shoulders is you can carry more underneath here and it doesn't look like it's as big. They got a line on that thing. I'm going to tell you way more information than you need. Well, I am not going to tell you all of it. Let's save it for a a more... We'll save it. But there is a line on there, and it says body fat range. Okay, that's what it says. Jan said healthy. Mine says not obese, not fat, overfat. <laughs> you laugh. I didn't. <laughs> overfat. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a word. <laughs> we can go home now. I, I'm done with it. I just <laughs> at the conference, and, and there's danger zone. I'm in on some of these areas, and I've known it for a while. And it is easier for me to fluctuate, probably about 20 to 25 pounds. It really is. Not five or 10 pounds. I can fluctuate in the same clothes 20 to 25 pounds. And I've done that for most of my adult life. It was Jan's fault. Okay? <laughs> when we got pregnant with Sydney, Jan gained 20, what? 21 pounds? I gained 27. Okay? <laughs> Hey, but she was cooking the fried bologna and fried potatoes, right? You were. Okay. And I got in a cycle that I've never been able to get out since we've been married. Oh, up and down, up and down and around. and But then the last, few, last year or so, it feels different. It feels different. Don't you wish we had a spiritual scale to stand on? Or maybe you don't. And you may look at it and go, man, I'm getting a lot of meat. I'm getting fed a lot. I listen to seven podcasts a week. I read three books every month on Christian stuff. I am fat. I am overfat. I am useless to people. And I do believe one of the things I'm concerned about in the day and age we live in, we get so much everything, so many inundated with so much Christian stuff, we do nothing with it. We do nothing with it. Besides, maybe walk in and compare your pastor to all the other six you've been listening to this week and going, man, why can't you preach like them? I heard this this week. I love what John Maxwell says. As we listen to that, John Maxwell said, You know, my congregation says a lot of times, used to say a lot of times, Why don't you preach better? And he said, Well, when Chuck Swindoll starts preaching better, I'll start preaching better. (laughs) You'll get that later. They talked a lot about death at GLS. Or maybe they didn't talk so much about it. I just picked up on the few times they did. I love what Danny Mayer, Mayer or Mayer, Mayer, restaunt, restaurateur, many of you know who he is, said when he started all the restaurants that he started in the hospitality, he writes books on hospitality. It's pretty amazing what they do. But he's sitting with his uncle one night, and he was going to law school, about to go take his LSATs, is that what it's called? I think that's right. The next day, and he asked his uncle asked him, and he said, I, I don't want to go do this, basically. And he said, well, why are you doing it? Well, why are you doing it? And he said, because I don't know what else to do. He said, well, you've always loved food. And he thought for a minute, maybe I can go around and just be a food critic or whatever, you know, going around. But his uncle said this. Do you realize ask him a question? Do you realize how long you're going to be dead? <laughs> and he said, he said, No, he said, his uncle said, I don't know either. But you'll be dead a heck of a lot longer than you will be alive. So begin to live. Now, Erwin McManus said, and I've quoted it to you before in his book, The Last Arrow. And Many of you know that he has dealt with cancer in the last year and a half. And the night that he got the news that he had cancer, and it was, it was a pretty big deal, okay, he went home and he read this, his first thing when he opened the book up as if his manuscript as he was writing this book, the first words his eyes went to was this. It says, before you hear it from someone else, I need to tell you that I'm dying. But so are you. He said, treat today as sacred. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him one time and said, if you, if you die right now, I'll take you where only dead men can go. Death has a lot of companions fear, anxiety. And he said that, well, your fear, a fear, your fear establishes the boundaries of your greatness. I thought that's pretty profound. Your fear establishes the boundaries of your greatness. He said, but your freedom is on the other side of your fear. And I love this. He says, death is supposed to be behind you. You've already dealt with that. You've already dealt with it. You have life in front of you. Death is already settled. One, it couldn't come as a shock that it's in your life. So go ahead and come to grips with it, deal with it, put it behind you, and begin to move forward in Christ's name. And I love the other thing he said. He says, your pain is the boundaries of your greatness. Don't let your pain define you or paralyze you. Christ did not come to take away the pain, but to give us a way through the pain. Your greatness is on the other side of your pain. I went back and looked at my notes from the last week of October 2012 when we met in that fellowship over there, hall over there with some of you that are still in this room today. Some of you are here now. We're in that room with us. Most of you are not. Matter of fact, I'd say, yeah, most of you are not. The day we quietly launched soft launch renovation. And I wrote this, and I said this. So we have to have the faith to believe that what we are doing here matters. We have to have the faith that what you do in your life every day matters. It matters more than doctoring, or lawyering, or teaching, or mothering, or fathering, or coaching. What you do matters much greater than that. I went on to say, to be forthright with you, I'm not interested in spending the rest of my life just trying to motivate merely interested and knowledgeable religious people. I want to spend the rest of my life helping inspire inspire those who are already motivated. If we're merely trying to motivate or relight the fire each week for folks, we are in trouble. Our role on Sundays will not try to get you to enough fuel to relight the fire to make it through another week we want to stoke the fire that is already burning within you plus we want to help introduce others to this unknown fire called the holy spirit through his son jesus christ to inspire people with hope inspired by hope in romans 1:17, as we talked that day I think it's McManus that translates it. It says, the righteous will live by faith. And it's easily translated, the righteous thrive in the midst of unpredictable change. If I heard anything this week besides death, okay, it's this. You can't plan ten years out. You can't plan five years out. You can't plan two years out anymore. It's changing too fast. The gospel will always be the same. But other things may have to change, and that's the reason why I believe God has called us to camp out in Ephesians four, because it can't look the same as it's always looked. I don't know what all that means, but I'm convinced it can't. Sometimes you have to know what it's not before you can figure out what it is. As most of you know, our Ephesians First Thessalonians one, our mission statement is to live by faith, be known by love. Be a voice of hope. The verse five says, "But those people in Thessalonians lived as they were a model; they were influencers. But they did it with the power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction." I think one reason so many of us don't move forward: we've got the knowledge, we know what we should do, but it, conviction is not conviction till it moves you to action. It just doesn't. And that's the reason why when Paul wrote about the church at Thessalonica he says everywhere we go we hear about you. It tells about what they had to get rid of. Your idols? You had to get rid of. I don't know what all that's going to mean for you or for me or for us but they did it with the power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. John Maxwell, in his talk, and many of you, if you're not believers, you may have known of John Maxwell because he is the leading teacher on leadership around the world, has been. He was a pastor for many, 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 many years, but he's led more people to Christ since he left the ministry and has been on the speaking tour than he ever did. He, t- he gives talks to these major corporations or wherever he is, and he tells them at the end, he'll do the whole thing. And at the end, if I remember correctly, I've heard it before, he didn't say it this time. At the end, he said, I have one more session if you want to stay. I'll tell you what really makes this work. But it's optional. And they get to come back one more time, and he shares the gospel with them. And people are coming to know Christ in droves. He sits with kings. He sits with presidents. The only reason I tell you that is what I love about what he said about his dad. Well, he said this first. He said, if you're still excited about what you did five years ago, you are not growing. He said, he recently talked to his father, who's 96. His father said that he believes his best days are still ahead of him. I love what he, he wraps it up with this. My father is going to live till he dies and not get the two confused. My father is going to live till he dies and he's not going to get the two confused. To lead a life worthy of the calling. Part of the reason I'm going through this process for me and my health, I want to be at 96 going. Give me my mountain, the Caleb thought. (laughs) I want to have the vigor and the energy if God sees fit. Or he takes me home before whatever age. But I don't want to be paralyzed. We will never apologize here at Renovation for challenging you to live and lead a life worthy of. Of the calling, it's a work in progress, no doubt. But that's where we're headed. That is where we're headed. So I want you guys come to close. Amazing Grace, I heard years ago, uh, I think a guy named Lee Strobel, who's a case for Christ, written like he was a lawyer atheist. And he said he had heard that song, and, and that's not what you need to sing right now. I'm just telling a story. <laughs> Do what you want to. But he said he heard that song years ago, and he would go with his wife to church, and he said it meant nothing. He just sat there and it just meant nothing. But he said once he gave his life to Christ, Every time he sang it, he bawled like a baby (laughs) because he got it. The invitation to know him in a personal, real, unique, yes, and also in community, individual and in community. That's part of our call. We'll talk more about that next week. in the invitation to make a difference. Never imagined in my wildest dreams what he has let me see and what I got to be a part of in my last 30 years of following after him. But I want to believe that my best days are ahead of me. Like John's dad I just don't want to get the two confused. Won't you stand with me as we close together in song? To lead, to live a life worthy, worthy of the invitation. The invitation's always there. It's always there. Heard years ago was I the first time I walked down front in that little Baptist church there in Hooks, Texas to to say publicly what God had done in my life. This, this stuck with me all these years. Said it's not the fifty steps or thirty steps I had to take. It was the first step was the hardest. The other ones were easy. But stepping out, do we continue around the altars as we do as the Church of the Nazarene to pray in a place to come and. To act on that calling, if you will. We just put that before you today. Lord, thank you. For your word that softens us. Calls us through your spirit. And that same spirit that says, I did not You did not receive a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, and of agape love, and of a sound mind. Lord, let us live, let us live a life worthy of the calling. Lord, give us this few minutes here as we gather. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.